Hi, my name is Jolie, and I have been wishing that I had the balls to rewrite my life the way Madame Helena Blavatsky has, or had. She's dead. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Can't rewrite that part. (laughs) No, that part's done. Hey, it's Emma, and I second that. I wish that that was what I came up with for my intro, but I'm not the one that did the research, so that was news to me. I feel like we've all known that person who says things and you're like, that's not true, though. But if you say something enough times, then it is, right? Yeah. As long as someone starts to believe it, then you can start to believe it, too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some of the things that she changed in her life were so ostentatious that I feel like people didn't really have the guts to say that's not possible. If you just make the lie big enough, people won't know how to approach it and they'll just accept it. So we've been talking a lot about new age shit. Mm -hmm. And Helena Blavatsky is like grandmama of the (laughs) new age movement. Like she's one of them, at least. She came up with so much of the shit or she like compiled so much of the shit. Yeah. You could see her as like the grandmama of the whole goddamn thing. And she really took it so much further than anybody else. Old lady new age. A little taste of what you're going to get with HPB, which is what she liked to call herself. She was a chain smoker. She loved herself some hashish, some opium. Oh my gosh, this is like my kind of lady. I know. She would like stay up all night and party, write all day. And uh, she fucking loved food. She would just eat and eat and eat. She was like the antithesis of a Victorian lady. She was she was just crass and a liar. And she liked to fuck and adventure. And she was just love insane. It. I love it. <laughs> so before we get into it, do you know anything about theosophy? Because I know that you did the Nazi occult episode. Hint, hint, you guys should listen to it. <laughs> so that was like, what, our like second episode? We probably sound like an idiot. <laughs> oh my God. I always sound like an idiot. So <laughs> join me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like I should because I, I did talk about it in that episode. Yeah, you talked about theosophy and Ariosophy, which is like the Nazis combined version of theosophy and like Aryan supremacy. Yeah, like the lineage of Aryan people being like Jesus. Obviously. <laughs> Right? Is that right? Yeah, essentially. Okay. The ideology being that all of us are human, but there are people who are just like a better version of human. Right. Like you and me. Yeah. Like like (laughs) us. Clearly. (laughs) I mean, I'm halfway there. I have blue eyes. Aryan princess. Oh my God. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit yet? Mm Mm-mm. It's so good. It will make you uh, weep and it's horrifying, but it's very good. Jojo Rabbit. I've been like crying about everything lately. Oh, my God. Maybe I even said this last week, too. Yeah, you did. (laughs) You said that you've been crying a lot. Yeah, like not even because I feel sad. Like I feel like touched by everything. I feel like the emotions are always like right at the surface. Yeah. It's not difficult to tap into them because like you have nothing else to pay attention to. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like I cried during Tangled last night. Like I'm just like crying. (laughs) Just like. Oh, no. (laughs) A certain like harmony or chord pattern or something is like affecting me. I feel like for me, it's it's mainly about the any injustice feels like magnified 
So I yeah. can't focus on anything else. With all of the racial stuff going on, like it's been heavy to the point where I like will just close my computer and like cover my face and just sit there for a minute. Like, oh, my God. Well, it's hard as a parent of a, a mixed race child. And it's also hearing the shit that they don't tell you in history books because everybody knows that the slave trade was bad. Yeah. But to the extent that people were dehumanized and continue to be dehumanized, it's like when you read about it, you're just like, mm -hmm. it is so overwhelmingly awful mm -hmm. that you don't know how anyone has survived. Or like how so many people have been in denial. Right. And I feel like a lot of it is just rewriting your negative history. Like yeah. white people love to rewrite their negative history. I'm not responsible for this. And by the way, like there were some good slave owners. Like tell me the definition of a good slave owner. Right. Yeah. It's a person that doesn't own slaves. In which case they're not a slave owner. Like everything we learned in history was just like what you're saying, like rewritten history. And what's really interesting about it is spiritualism is an almost direct reaction to the desire of people to have fairness in the country. Let's talk about it. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, me too. I did not mean that to be like the segue. But it really worked. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> I planned it. It was incredible. All right. So uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that were happening around this period of time that directly contributed to the situation of spiritualism actually working. Because at any other point in time, it would not have worked. This mm -hmm. was like prime time in the 19th century for this to happen. So the first thing I want to talk about is the Age of Enlightenment. So it's like a philosophical movement that happens primarily in Europe, the 17th to the 19th century. And it was really based on defining things by reason and science. Mm -hmm. So people were getting kind of tired of the pull that the church had over their mm -hmm. lives. Um, and that's both Catholic and Protestant. And this had been going on for a while. Like we talked about it even in the witch trials, like people were getting real over the church's mm -hmm. shit. So there was yeah. like a push to figure out what was really going on so that the church would stop leading people around by the nose. So that's part of it. Some of the central doctrines for the Age of Enlightenment was individual liberty, religious tolerance, opposition to the monarchy and opposition to fixed dogmas. So it was a lot of let's avoid the shit that we've been given and figure out like what's actually happening and create our own thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happened with the Age of Enlightenment is science actually became popular and easily disseminated in the public. And something that happened with this is that food became less scarce for all people. So more people had upward mobility, could get education, could get access to these scientific materials. That's awesome. And then more people on top of that, because they were like, you know, newly not moneyed, but newly not poor. More people were able to take on translating works of literature, works of like science, works of philosophy. So it became mm -hmm. like very easy for people to pick up a book about Plato. Yeah, know how to read it. Yeah, yeah. Instead of like having to learn Latin and spend time in school and then like translate it for yourself so that you could read it at that point. And then yeah. also figure out what the fuck it meant. Mm -hmm. No cliff notes. At this time, they really wanted to figure out like why man existed, mm -hmm. what was animating us. And that's been like a constant. Yeah, I mean, that's still a question. So, yeah, there was the Age of Enlightenment. That was kind of tied into another thing that happened called New Thought. So we're talking about releasing people from these religious dogmas that were super oppressive. So New Thought, it's kind of Christianity, but it's like the positive thinking version of Christianity. So anything that you have now that's like, 
think it and you'll get it. You can manifest things. Like mm-hmm. if you're sick, it's like something that's happening in your brain. You have to tell yourself that you're not sick. Oh. So New Thought was primarily, like I said, in Christianity. And a lot of this stuff was primarily Christianity. It was tied into Christian science. It was tied into also this kind of idea that man was a spiritual being in Mm -hmm. like a fleshly body and that there was some way to become more enlightened and to reach almost like a God state that God was everywhere of infinite intelligence and that we are kind of a part of that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's still fucked up to say that someone's sick because they are thinking the wrong way. Well, for sure. (laughs) That's like some Gwyneth Paltrow (laughs) bullshit. The chief tenets of that, like I said, are infinite intelligence of God. We're in our body. We're experiencing like a body life. But when we die, we will be like reborn into a higher level of consciousness. True human selfhood is divine. So the body is divine. We have to take care of it. And everybody's body is divine. And that's kind of nice. And that all disease is of mental origin. Right thinking has a healing effect. So even without getting directly into spiritualism, people were already buying into the idea that our concept of God was not exactly correct. It was just Mm -hmm. like our reaching for the truth and that Mm -hmm. we had to look further. So the last thing that directly related to spiritualism becoming actually possible is the Second Great Awakening. So people became famous for ministering. This was a way to travel, to attract a lot of attention to whatever religious belief you were pushing at the time. You could become an orator. You're almost like a celebrity. That's cool. People were getting like really into the idea that you could commune with a higher spirit, a higher self, a God figure without the use of a church. Mm -hmm. And people were really preaching this. It was like a cult of personality. People would follow people and say, oh my God, I heard this guy you know, talking about God in Tennessee in some fairground. It was fucking great. They wouldn't say fuck. <laughs> That's still a thing. These things became popular. It was like a, an attraction. It's like religion as entertainment. Almost. Exactly. So now we get into spiritualism. Spiritualism, and this was surprising to me, actually started in New York. At the time, you have to remember that everybody, all of the immigrants would come to New York. Yeah. So anyone who was kind of following any of Age of Enlightenment shit in Europe was probably coming to New York to live. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people who were into spiritualism were still defining themselves as Christians. And Mm -hmm. some of them were even still going to church. I mean, it's very much like it is now. Like people will say, I'm not Christian, I'm spiritual. I don't see why it really needs to be separate. No, it doesn't. If you subscribe to spiritualism as it's actually written, it makes sense that they would have a belief system on top of that. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of occult influences. I'm just going to talk about a couple of them. Hermitism, which was a school of thought that emphasized that humans had to transcend rational thought and worldly desire to find salvation. So basically you have to like become enlightened. And that was an ancient Egyptian thing. Another one that happened in late antiquity was Gnosticism. So they believe that you are a pure person, but you're in a material body. Mm -hmm. To enlighten yourself, you have to like seek understanding to get back to the divine source. Mm -hmm. What kills me about this is that you still hear people spout off these phrases, divine source. You have to become enlightened. You have to be reborn. I can't believe this has been going on this long. It's got some staying power. It's got good marketing. 
<laughs> it's like a level of jargon that you don't expect a weird 19th century religious practice to have. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds like the same stuff. There was another thing that kind of led into it, and that is Neoplatonism, which is based on the ideas of Plato. And this actually led directly to Rosicrucianism, which... A, they made up some shit, like some guy wrote some stuff and it was all great and it was secret knowledge and there was like a secret brotherhood and yeah, it's like the same typical shit. So all <laughs> of that was wrapped into it. <laughs> Wasn't there some movie about like a religious secret brotherhood and they had like a creepy room and like they were doing weird stuff in the room? I think you're talking about Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Well, no, I don't oh, think so. Oh, not a so. sex cult? No, not a, not a sex cult. The Order? Is that what you're Maybe. talking about? I don't know. I like sure know a lot about movies, like the plots, but like I don't, I don't know like what any of them are called. It like came out sometime like in the 90s or like all the way to the late 2000s. I don't know. <laughs> Did it have Heath Ledger in it? I don't even know. It's like I just remember the room. Heath Ledger was definitely in something. <laughs> It's just like changed the whole format of our podcast and it's just us talking about movies that we don't know anything about. I was going to say like we should call it Wait, Let Me Guess, but I think that is actually a podcast, so we can't really call it about, that. Really about movies? I don't know what it's about. I think it might just be like a quiz kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so let's talk about philosophical influences. This is the shit that like directly ties in. The writings of Emanuel Swedenborg. So he was a philosopher in the late 17th century and early 8th. 18th century and uh, the teaching of Franz Mesmer, which if you've heard of mesmerism, that's what it's based off of. It's a way of like hypnotizing people. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people who were into mesmerism around this period of I time. I didn't know this. So like when you say mesmerized, like, oh, I'm mesmerized by her. That has to do with some person. Yeah, it has to do with wow. a person. Swedenberg specifically kind of influenced a lot of this. He claimed that he was able to communicate with spirits while he was awake. And this is the idea that your spirit exists outside of your body, right? So mm -hmm. it's not just like your brain in a body and that's it. It's like there's yeah. this other thing, like mm -hmm. the ghost in the shell. Totally. Or the ghost in the machine, not the shell. Or the shell. Why the and shell the machine. Works too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So something that really resonated with a lot of spiritualists was that he believed specifically, and this is Swedenborg, that there wasn't a heaven and hell and that there wasn't necessarily any sort of divine punishment for anything. Mm -hmm. But he also said that you shouldn't try to seek out spirits. So that's where they like stopped reading. Like, oh, OK, let's go. <laughs> spirits. And he's like, no, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> So Mesmer did not have any sort of like weird religious beliefs. He just basically didn't create hypnotism, but like created kind of a way to hypnotize people. So he essentially made it a thing that many people could do and wrote about it. I just can't even believe that that's where the word comes from. I know. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I loved that. I was like, cool. oh, I know what that <laughs> means. Yeah, that's how I feel. For mesmerism, there's a lot of it that's like showmanship. And a lot of it is just silly. People don't necessarily believe any of Franz Mesmer's ideas about what's happening with hypnotism, and none of them are really real. But a lot of spiritualists took this hypnotism and actually made it into a profitable brand. Like it was a thing that wow. they could do, like a stage trick. Have you ever heard of Margaret and Kate Fox? Mm, no. So they were famous for being spiritualist mediums. They were fakes. Spoiler alert. 
<laughs> but they would do like table tilting. They would communicate to spirits through knocks, which people determined was like them banging their knee against a table. Totally. And yeah. <laughs> like they had tricks that they could use. They later admitted to it all being fake. And then they said, no, nah, we take it back. We're cool. <laughs> I guess they were like, people don't like us anymore. They think yeah. that we've been lying. So can we take that back? We were just joking. Yeah. JK. <laughs> <laughs> the most popular trans lecturer and trans lecturing was like a big thing. That's essentially like being a medium, letting a ghost speak through you, was a super pretty woman called Cora L.V. Scott or... I think at the time she was known as Cora Hatch, but she had like five husbands and she always took their last name. So she's had like a million names. Oh, my God. What a pain in the ass. <laughs> Listen, Cora Hatch is my brand. So I can't. Well, I mean, back then, like, were you allowed to not take the name? I don't think you I mean, were. Were you allowed to have five husbands? I guess. See, here's the deal, because she's described as like the very definition of a lady that people would respect, but also be like, oh, there's no way she could know all this stuff and speak so eloquently because she's just a woman. And a loose woman at that. It's not clear whether or not she divorced all of her husbands or if it was like Lemony Snicket situation. You know, she's just like, like she murdered them. No, I don't think she murdered oh. them. That would make her story a lot more interesting. But <laughs> no, I don't think she murdered them. I guess we'll never know. I know that she did divorce one of them, but it's a man that she married really early on who basically like took her for a ride and profited off of her abilities. Because oh. he was like a spiritualist. And then there were like a couple of other people who were really famous for doing like spiritualist medium acts, essentially. And I call them acts because they 100% were. One of the things that they would do is like dress people up in costumes. It would be really dim and dark and you'd all be sitting at a table and a person would appear out of the background in like a Native American costume. <laughs> and people would be like, what's a ghost? <laughs> You'll find that, especially in the early days, Native Americans were more typically used as props. So you would find white people coming out in Native American dress and costume, pretending to be Native Americans because like that was the interesting thing. It was a manifestation of white guilt. Uh, we fucked these people over. They're suffering. Yeah, their spirits are mad. Yeah. And what I think is really interesting is like looking back on all of the Native American burial ground horror stories, like mm -hmm. the white guilt inherent totally. in those stories where it's like, why is that always a thing? Oh, because people know that they fucked up. Totally. So what's really interesting with this and um, what I thought was even more fascinating than Madame Blavatsky, but like. I had already committed to the research and I read a whole fucking book, so I wasn't going to like pull back on it. There was a lot of reformation involved in the spiritualist community. People of color were often mediums. And part hmm. of this was obviously because like it was hard for people of color and for women to have career paths that were socially acceptable that were yeah. well-paying, that allowed any sort of upward mobility. Once Black women specifically figured out that they could do this, they fucking ran with it and they used it to promote their cause of freedom. I love it. Yeah. And it was really interesting. Like Sojourner Truth. So she was an abolitionist and a suffragist. She was a radical Quaker. And apparently Quakers were like, essentially like rebels at the time, rebels of Christianity, which wow. I would never fucking think. <laughs> Me neither. If you're not a Protestant or a Catholic, I guess they were just like, yeah, you fucking heathens. Wild. <laughs> and there was specifically a spiritualist sect of Quakerism that was like very huh. involved in like mediumship and stuff like that. That I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Cora L.B. Scott actually wrote about 
Sojourner Truth. I cannot tell you the pleasure it gives me to hear her talk. Her words are like pearls cast from the crown of truth. The world will long remember her when other names are forgotten. Hmm. So she was an authority and Mm -hmm. she spoke like an authority. And to be fair, part of that was that people thought that black people were fucking stupid. She was brilliant. She was like passionate. She knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And so people were like, it. oh, she's clearly speaking from a divine source and not like, oh, she's oh very God. intelligent. And she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah. So there were a lot of people who took spiritualism and took mediumship and made it push their cause, which is mm-hmm. fucking incredible to me. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. Yeah. And because it like often paired storytelling and mediumship, it was the perfect way to push maybe black people or people. Yeah. Who would have thought? What year is this again? So this is in the 1800s. Around this time was probably like 1850s. Okay. People had been mediums before. It's not like that was new. But this is when it became popular as like an attraction. Gosh, what kind of stuff did they wear? So it kind of ranged because there were people like Cora Scott who looked like a proper Victorian lady. She was exactly what you expected. She needed help with her buttons. Exactly. And then there were people who adopted a traveler kind of appearance, like robes and like lots of rings and stuff. So yeah, Helena Blavatsky definitely adopted the like, oh, I'm a, a lady traveler. I'm very eccentric and exotic. Look at all my rings and I smoke and blah, blah, blah. It was all based on like their personal brand. It was very much like an influencer type situation where it's like, okay, well, what am I pushing? Mm -hmm. What's my personal brand? Mm -hmm. My personal brand is tits. (laughs) That has never been my personal brand. You're more of an ass girl. Not even that. I got nothing. (laughs) I am all personality. (laughs) All bad personality. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, now we are sufficiently caught up. Let's talk about the family of Madame Blavatsky. So she liked to say that she was like a peasant. She was an aristocrat. Liar. I guess character development, right? Yeah. Like I said, it's a personal brand. And because she wasn't going to pull off the like prim and proper Victorian lady, Mm -hmm. she was like, well, I'm going to lean hard into the traveler lifestyle, into the like tough, rough and tumble, eat, smoke, fuck, except for not fuck, because she said that she didn't. She said that she didn't have sex. I don't know if she said that she was a total virgin, but she did say that she was celibate for at least most of her life. She said she was cold to men. She was like a glacier. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The other thing that she said was that she was ignorant. She wasn't. She came from a long line of people who were incredibly intelligent. Her grandmother, she would have been a famous scientist in any other time period in any other country. Wow. She was actually written about by Lady Hester Lucy Stanhope. Um, She was a woman who essentially traveled dressed as a man and then wrote about her experiences. When she was in Russia, she actually met Helena Blavatsky's grandmother. And she said, in that barbarian land, I met an outstanding woman scientist who would have been famous in Europe, but who is completely underestimated due to her misfortune of being born on the shores of the Volga River where there was none to recognize her scientific value. The bitch had correspondence with like scientists all over the place and she actually has fossils named after her. She was doing fine. She wasn't as famous as she could have been, but she certainly wasn't like some poor misfortunate woman on the shores of the Volga. She's like living in a castle. Her grandmother was actually born of a French princess, which 
they say princess. It's more like aristocracies. Like just like wealthy people and like yes. the princesses. So I'm going to have this written in the blog because I cannot remember it for the life of me. I am not a Russian scholar. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends who is actually a scholar of Russian history said something about there were so many people fighting for control at any one time that there were a lot of princes and princesses and a lot of people were very close to like getting on the throne. And Helena's line of family members, specifically, I think on her grandmother's side, were at one point very close to being on the throne. Hmm. So her grandmother's mother was a French princess and she was like very flighty. She actually had two kids pretty quickly and then abandoned them, oh. only coming back too late to really bother raising them. Hmm, that's sad. Her grandmother was like on her shit as a mom. She was like super intelligent. She was very involved. She educated her daughters the way mm -hmm. that men would be educated. She was like, you're learning languages, you're learning literature, you're going to learn science. She was just a really amazing woman. I don't know how she balanced everything. Yeah. Because having two kids in the house, I'm just like, I don't have time to tie my shoes. Oh, my God, dude. I know we had to do like two months of homeschooling and like three weeks in. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to log you into your laptop. This bitch was a whole <laughs> ass scientist. So, yeah, while she was doing all that, her dad was not super like scientific, but he was really into occult stuff. So they had a giant library of every topic known to man, including wow. occult stuff like Rosicrucianism, alchemy, magic, all of that shit. Her grandmother raised a really brilliant daughter. She was very like literary. She really got engaged in this is her mom? stories. Yeah. So this is Helena Blavatsky's mom. The reason I'm not actually calling them by their names is because they're all named Helena and I I cannot. <laughs> Helena one, Helena So there's two. Helena Pavlovna, there's Helena Andreyevna, and then there's our girl. Interesting. Women did the name lineage? Yeah. Or is their family just like weird? No, I think women did the, the name lineage too. Yeah. I think everybody did it. They had charming names. Uh, Helena Blavatsky was actually called Lilinka. Oh, Isn't like that cute? Mm -hmm. It's so cute. so cute. Anyway, Helena's mom was just very smart. She was very romantic. She had lofty ideas. Her parents were married, despite the fact that her father was a commoner. I love that. They were just like, we're in love. We're getting married. They had a beautiful marriage. You know, they were married till the day they died. They had a great family life. And that is what Helena's mom expected. She, she just thought she was going to get exactly what her parents had. And mm. unfortunately, she did not. So he did not respect her. He basically put down all of her aspirations. He was like not having her flights of fancy. He was like, no, you're a wife. You look pretty. You have babies. We are done. Lame. And she was fucking miserable. But they traveled a lot. A lot of military travel. So at least she didn't have to be around him that much, right? Yeah. So apparently Helena only spent about 12 months of her first 10 lives or her first 10 lives, <laughs> of her first 10 years with him. So he was not around much at all. He was always wow. working, so that's doing great. soldier shit. I don't know yeah. what they do. Her mom, basically, when she was in rural areas, she was super fucking depressed. She was not happy. She was not a great mom. She's not super attentive. She was miserable. Like, yeah. why would she be? When they moved to St. Petersburg for a while, she was around her people. She was around, like, educated, intelligent people, people who were born of aristocracy. Mm -hmm. This is when she really started to write. So she became a famous Russian novelist. Right on. Writing took up all of her life to oh. the point where her 
sickly child didn't get much attention because Helena was like sick a lot as a kid. Oh, no. There's no way to know like how sick she was because so much of what she said was a lie. But she said that she was like close to death on several occasions. And what was her exact quote? She said sick and ever dying till seven or eight. Wow. She was very much a coddled child by the people who were taking care of her. But the people who were taking care of her was not her mom or her dad. Who were these people? Just like governesses, that kind of thing. The interesting thing about this is there are a lot of Russian superstitions At the time, there was kind of like a fight between what people would call like pagan traditions and Christian Mm -hmm. traditions. And most people, even if they went to Christian church, still believed in like those pagan superstitions. People treated her like a little queen and they were also fucking frightened of her. (laughs) (laughs) So she was born July 31st. But also, aren't there some accounts that she was born on August 12th or something? Wasn't there like... Yeah, that's according to the Gregorian calendar. Her family believed that she was born in July. And July is the seventh month out of the year. And apparently that makes her a sedmichka. Hmm. It basically means one connected with the number seven. And that makes her kind of a mystical person who can like communicate with ghosts and like... So all people born in July? (laughs) Apparently. Russia had a lot of superstitions like tales of wolves, monsters, ghosts, uh, what they call leshies, which is like a kind of demon, I think, brownies and goblins. And all of these things were believed to impact humans like they, they fucked with humans. Rusalkas, beautiful water spirits, they were believed to be the souls of unchristened people who had returned to lure other people to death. Apparently, because she was born on the seventh month, she could control and like manipulate these spirits or like demons or whatever. She was a fucking brat. She was like beyond awful as a kid. (laughs) She was both incredibly intelligent and really fun, but also like a fucking prankster. And she needed attention all the time. She was just like beyond herself. If she didn't get her way, she threw convulsive fits. Like, she was just awful. And this was almost her whole life. Like, she was just a bad kid. Not a bad kid, but she just needed way more than anybody else. Like, her sister didn't even really like her because she was just like, she's too much. Yeah. Like, I love her because she's my sister, but I I don't like to be around her. Maybe because she was coddled so much. She was coddled and people were scared of her. So she started using that. She was like, this is how I get my attention. So this is what we're doing. There was one incident that made everybody in the house afraid of her. And that was she was visiting someplace and there was like a a surf boy behind her and he was like fucking with her and she didn't like it. She said that the water spirit was going to get him. And he actually like got scared of her because everyone was scared of her anyway. So he ran Mm -hmm. away and uh, they found him later in the water. They pulled him out and he was dead. (gasps) Oh, my God. Did she kill him? He probably just like ran off, fell in the water and freaked out and and died. People took this as like, oh, my God, she totally fucking did it. She's she's a witch. And her parents were like, no, don't be stupid. Yeah. That's the thing that happens to people sometimes. Yeah, but not always after someone says some shit like that. Right. Like it's it's a fucked up circumstance. But like Helena took this and she was like, yes, I control the elements. Like she really (laughs) bought into all of this fantasy. 
They moved around a lot. And like I said, Helena's mom did not pay much attention to her. She was kind of busy with her career and all of that. But she did have a lot of like really great governesses who were interested in educating her. So she learned a lot of languages like very early. She could read and write in English, German, probably yeah. not incredibly well in English and German, but like pretty well. But like enough. Yeah. And she's, like. She spoke a lot of languages like she was she was doing pretty good. She was a really smart person. She was like reading all the time. But all throughout her childhood, she said that she was speaking to ghosts and people would walk in on her having full ass conversations yeah. with something. One of the things that she said was that she had lots of imaginary friends and one of them was a little hunchback boy and she would talk to him in her attic. She manipulated her way into getting some serfs to take her and some fellow children into like the cave so they could talk to the spirits. She had a spirit guide of a woman named Tekla. And she like described her. She said she was a real person. She lived and then she died and then she was protecting Helena. And her father was like, oh, fuck it. We're just going to research this. It mm -hmm. was a real person. Wow. However, <laughs> uh, she had actually met a man while traveling around with her father and her mother pretty early on. And mm -hmm. he had shown her some pictures or some paintings that he had. And one of them was of Auntie Tekla, who oh. happened to still be alive. Huh. So she very well could have like not remembered that she saw this because it was she was young. But like yeah. she created this story out of it. So then after Tekla, it became like a series of different people. Wow. The spirit was appearing to me as Tekla, but it was really an Indian man or it was really a Hindu or it was really like an amorphous yeah. blob. She just kind of created things for herself. So she has like a really active imagination. Incredibly active imagination. It is very likely also because she she dissociated a lot. That she had some mental shit happening. They would find her just comatose, like looking off Weird. into space for hours. So she would completely dissociate. She would also sleepwalk. Huh. She had a lot of issues, man. But because she was in a very like superstitious place, people didn't bother thinking like, hey, we probably need to get this girl help. Right. But yeah, so when she was 10, her mom died. And because she had never Sad. really spent any time with her dad and her dad was busy, he was like, well, I don't have time for these kids. So she moved in with her grandparents and she became okay. very close friends with her auntie who happened to be around her age. Oh, cool. That's nice. But, you know, she she always missed her dad like she wanted the dad energy and she yeah. never got it. So there are a couple of things I want to talk about before we go on. Let's talk about how to fake it. So have, you've heard of mentalism because you talked about Darren Brown in the NLP mm -hmm. episode. And I watched mm -hmm. so many of his his things just like flabbergasted, like, what the fuck? Like, That's I want to learn from him, not to like fool people, but to just like know some weird party tricks. Right. Close up magic. Yeah, exactly. So mentalism is a performing art in which its practitioners, known as mentalists, appear to demonstrate highly developed mental or intuitive abilities. But it is all based on deduction. It's based on like general reasoning. Like if there are X mm -hmm. amount of people with the name J, then you can probably guess yeah. what this person's name is. If you say it starts with a J, right? Yes. Okay. James, because that is the most popular J name. Once you know what they're doing, it's easy to figure out how they're doing it. And mm -hmm. specifically, Darren Brown is very big on saying, I have no clairvoyance. 
But a lot of people are really upset that Darren Brown is saying this because they they really want people to believe that they have this ability, this magical power that nobody else has. <laughs> They're like, you're fucking this up for us. Stop. Right. <laughs> this has been a thing for a really long time. It also includes hypnosis, telepathy, divination, mm-hmm. precognition. And really, we've talked about pattern recognition, given a certain amount of items in a list, you're going to be able to figure some things out, figuring out the odds, right? Yeah. But Darren Brown is particularly fucking good at it. It's amazing. So the other thing is hypnosis. And this is the thing that scares me. I didn't realize how easy it is to hypnotize somebody. And once you hypnotize somebody once, it's really easy to plant a a suggestion to them to hypnotize them a lot easier the next time. And this is what I think was happening a lot. How do you do it? So there are some people who are highly suggestible, highly hypnotizable. Mm -hmm. But basically, it involves drawing their attention to a specific hyper focus. And some people, you can do that pretty easily just by like tapping on their shoulder or like making a noise by saying some things. You can get them super relaxed and Mm -hmm. into this like heightened place of focus that is almost trance-like. The other thing is, like I said, you can plant a suggestion like next time. If this is okay with you, it's going to be much easier for me to get you in. I will be able to say five, four, three, two, one, and you'll fall directly into your hypnotic state. You can prep people for really getting them into that hypnotic state and following that suggestion all the time. So you can use this for evil. It's really scary. (laughs) I wonder if you could use this for parenting. I wonder if we do use it for parenting because a lot of times we'll say, okay, I want you to take a deep breath. That's true. Out. So part of that is just drawing their focus to something very specific or like, yeah, one of the things that I learned is that one of the techniques that some hypnotists like to use is basically mindfulness. Mm-hmm. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating. And people often believe that if you're hypnotized, you're not going to remember. And some people don't. You can actually plant the suggestion that you're going to have like selective amnesia. But most of the time you are actually fully in your body and you are aware. Like when people are on stage and then start being chickens or whatever and then yeah. they like forget. Neuroimaging kind of does support the idea that it is a phenomenon that's happening in the brain. But there is a, also kind of the idea that it is a social confirmation. So you know mm-hmm. what hypnotism looks like. Yeah. And if it's like performative or whatever. Right. Yeah. My brain is supposed to be doing this. So I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then also like the idea of magic. I look at magic even and I'm just like, holy shit, how? Mm -hmm, That's like fucking sorcery. How is that possible? Harrison Ford is like seeing a magic trick by, I forget which magician. Like David Blaine or something? It's probably David Blaine, but David Blaine does the magic trick and Harrison Ford is just silent for a minute. He looks up and he says, get the fuck out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) They killed me. That's funny. I get it, though. It's like... That makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know how it happened. What is life? What's real? So let's get back to HPB. HPB was always a badass, right? She was always, like, not going by anybody else's rules but her own. Mm -hmm. Super self-involved, but still, like, there's something to be said for not following the social norms and just doing your own thing, being yourself. Yeah. She Mm -hmm. was never the type of lady who enjoyed, like, wearing dresses and going to parties and being seen by people. Being seen by people. Yeah, she like wanted to be seen on her own terms. And this was pretty Mm. consistent throughout her entire life. There was one instance where she reported, and again, who the fuck knows if this is true, because it could not be true. She lied a lot. 
But she said that rather than going to a party, which she was going to be forced to go to and forced to like dress up and put on her prettiest, yes, I'm just a lovely little Victorian woman. Mm -hmm. Rather than do that, she put her hand or her foot in scalding hot water so that she wouldn't have to go. (laughs) (laughs) I know those feels, though. I know. Like, I would rather cut off my arm than go to this party, like that kind of thing. (laughs) But she like really did it. She also said that she never had an interest in men. Like I said, she compared herself to a glacier. Yeah, maybe she didn't. She very much did. She had oh. romances and she wrote love letters to to boys that were very saccharine and sweet. She playfully said to one of her like guys that she had a crush on when she was a teenager that he was a Don Juan and a sinner. <laughs> and she signed her name Elena. So much sure and so femme. I wonder why. Like maybe because she had failed loves or something. She's like. That's exactly what I think. I think like she wanted the approval of men more than she did women. She didn't like women. She wasn't a huge fan. She had daddy issues. She had daddy issues, but also Uh her mom was the only one who was there. And she still didn't pay attention to her. So she hated women. She really needed men, but she didn't want to make it like, oh, nobody wants me. So Mm -hmm. she said, I don't want anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So she started getting Mm -hmm. courted by this man who was, to be fair, twice her age. He was in his late 30s. And, you know, that was like normal for the time. Yeah. Her grandparents were super into it. They were like, you know, he is in the government. He's talented. He's successful. But she was not into him. She called him the plumeless raven because he was balding. What? Like an old timey insult. I know. I loved it, though. (laughs) But he was super into it. He still like tried to court her. Her temper, the way that she treated him was so awful that one of her governesses was like, you are so fucking awful. Nobody's ever going to want to marry you. Not even the guy who's been chasing you. And she was like, I'll show you. Within three days, she got a marriage proposal. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's like an ultimate bitch. I know. She is such a fucking bitch. So after he said, okay, you want to marry me? And she was like, oh, shit, I fucked up. (laughs) And she tried to get out of it. She was like, I'm going to be a bad wife. You don't want to marry me. He was like, nah, bitch, we doing this. I want to marry you. And she says that she always hated him. But I think that she was kind of intrigued by him, that he was like chasing her and that he, you know, had claimed to have interest in the occult and mysticism and all that. She was like, "Okay, well, maybe this won't be horrible. But when she married him, she was like, oh, you're fucking boring. She even went so far as to later say that he was like in his 70s. And she said, you're old enough to be my grandfather. It's like he was in his late 30s. You were like almost 20. (laughs) Calm the fuck down. Their marriage was not happy. By some accounts, they say that they were together for about a year. By some, it was like three months that they lived together. But she was like, I'm not going to consummate this marriage because gross. Wow. So it is very likely that she did not, that she was so repulsed by him that she just would not have anything to do with it. She actually ended up running away. So she had always ridden horseback. She convinced him that she wanted some time on the horse. She wanted to be able to like travel around and like do her own thing. And he was like, well, I know you. So I'm going to send you with somebody to watch you. (laughs) And she confessed to this guy that he sent, I'm going to fucking run away. And he was like, I work for your husband. I'm telling him. And so he started sending like a lot of people with her. She still managed to run away. She ended up hating her life there so much that she would rather be poor and travel on her own and figure out her own way than have anything to do with her family. Wow. So her family was like, excuse me, you're married. We got rid of you. 
<laughs> we don't want to pay for your shit anymore. So they were like, you need to come back to your husband and like do the right thing. And she was like, oh, no. But there was like nothing for women to do at the time. So it's really unclear how she made her way through Europe and like to Egypt at the time. There yeah. is some suggestion that she might have been doing like medium kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. that would have been easy for her to do or like fortune telling type stuff. There is actually some evidence that she could have been riding horseback. That's a long ride. No, not like riding horseback the whole way. Like she oh. she snuck her way onto a ship, I think, or something. I'm like, holy shit. Like that would have taken like years. <laughs> to make money, she was like giving people tours and stuff and taking yeah. them on horseback trails. One of the things that she said happened while she was doing this is that she had an accident with her horse. Her horse reared and she had her foot stuck in the shoe thing. What is it called? Stirrup. Stirrup. The shoe thing. You know what I'm (laughs) talking about. So she had her foot stuck in the stirrup and apparently the horse pulled her, but she saw her guardian, her spirit guide, and she was protected and she didn't die that day, even though she should have. Huh. She's just, she's ridiculous. During her travels, she had a lot of lovers. It was very clear that she was falling in love over and over again. She would like be super happy and romantic one day in her diary. And then the next day she'd be like, everything is lost. Woe is me. Yeah, she's like mentally ill. She's having herself a little time. So one of the things that happened on these early travels is that she actually started pursuing education of esoteric stuff. She learned how to be a snake charmer. She was in Egypt for a while with a guy who was also like a spiritualist and a a scholar and a traveler. He met her in 1850 and he was like, she was charming, companionable and almost irresistible. He described her as like kind of sexy. He was like, by this point, she had lost a lot of weight because she had probably been poor for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas like before she was kind of like she she described herself as a dumpling. She was described as like an artist's model. Like that's she had a like round face. She's like starving. Yeah, she's just so hungry. (laughs) And she liked to dress a lot in like men's clothes because it's Hmm. easier to travel as a woman if you're dressed as a man. Yeah. A lot of people use that to say that she was a transsexual. And that's not a thing. Like she just wanted to be able to travel without getting accosted. So that's how she was able to kind of get around places is she would dress as a man so that nobody fucked with her. That makes sense. She learned how to do snake charming. She actually studied with a mesmerist. They kind of like got this introduction to this Coptic Egyptian mesmerist and they were like... They dressed themselves in, you know, Egyptian garb and they snuck in. He was like, I'm having none of this. Do you want to learn? Give me money. So she learned from a (laughs) lot of people. And this is actually where she got kind of addicted to hashish and opium. Mm. It allowed her to kind of escape her body. And this is when she started having like the heaviest of her visions. And she said later that she always had visions. This just made them clearer. But it's like you probably weren't hallucinating except for when you were high. Right. Girl, you high. (laughs) Girl, you high. She also said that she was lifting the veil and that she was solving profound mysteries. Um, She talked Mm -hmm. about the enduring fame of the builder of the Sphinx. And she said, who was he anyway? Only a name, an oppressor of his fellow men. And then she said, I will bless mankind by freeing them from their mental bondage. Mm. She was serious. (laughs) (laughs) The next seven years of her life are apparently a fucking blur. And her biographer was like, she's crazy. I have no proof of any of this. Like, I'm sorry. Here's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) He was, he was like mortified by having to actually put this in writing. 
Oh, gosh. Here's the highlights of what she said she did. She went to Canada to study the Indians. She spent a year in America even purchasing land, but she lost the deed. She drifted around Central and South America learning. Uh, She found an Englishman to accompany her to a tour of the Orient. She tried to get in Tibet one time, but she was not able to. So then she went back to Singapore and then England. Then she went back to America First stopping in New York City, then Chicago, and then she took a covered wagon all the way to San Francisco where she went to Japan and then on to Calcutta. I mean, don't these trips take so long? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally not possible for her to have done this. And especially as a woman to have done all of this with no stable income. She's just like still in Egypt. Yeah, she's like still in Egypt or Europe or like maybe even Russia. She's just like fucking around, man. Weird. Here's the kicker, though. She said that she was able to sneak her way into Tibet and study with monks. Hmm. Tibet was not having any sort of foreigners because Christian ministries had tried to come and convert them and force them into Christianity. And they were like, well, fuck you. Yeah. So they were cut off. They didn't let white people in. No. Yeah. Even if you had a passport and you had some sort of permission to go to Tibet, they still wouldn't honor it. So it didn't matter what China said. They were just like, no, fuck you. Then she said... She had a number of supernatural experiences, one in which her spirit guide told her she needed to get the fuck out. So she went back to Europe. So she was just like in Europe. She was in Europe that whole time. It's like kind of sad. So here's what she was actually probably doing. She met a man that she fell in love with. He was an opera singer and he was so handsome. And she probably just like worked for the opera company. They traveled, they toured, but she was married technically. Oh, to that guy. This was horrible for her brand. So this is why she started saying like she was celibate. There's no way you can prove I was having an affair. Like I married this man, but I was forced to marry him. And I didn't love him. I never consummated the marriage and I never did anything bad, you guys. I was on a spiritual journey. (laughs) Opera singer was not pleased to be the other man. And he actually wrote her grandparents and was like, look, I'm not trying to start trouble, but she's my wife. She (laughs) is possible that she married him. Wow. Which would mean that that was illegal. Yeah. What is that, adultery? (laughs) That is bigamy. Bigamy. Yeah. What's adultery? Just like having sex outside of marriage? Yeah. So she was guilty of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just fucking ridiculous. So she was just like traveling. She was not studying any sort of secret religious or occult texts. Like she was probably going to the library a whole bunch because she had access Mm -hmm. to really great libraries and she was a big reader. But nothing that she read, like nothing that Mm -hmm. she professed to learn from these like secret trips to India and Tibet and all of that. It's not like new knowledge. No. And some of it she just flat out made up because Buddhist scholars are like, I don't know what the fuck she could be talking about. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. She just fucking lied. Well, at the time, it's like there's no way for people to check her references or anything. Right. So she can say whatever the fuck she wants. She can just... Yeah, you could get away with so much more. One of the things that happened while she was traveling is she made the acquaintance of a renowned medium, Daniel Holm. And she later said, nah, I didn't meet him. I never knew that bitch. And Holm was actually like, I fucking hate her. She's gross. Wow. <laughs> she, he was like, she's crass. She pretends to be a medium just to get attention. Helena was just not loved while she was living in Paris at the time. Her visage was offensive wow. to people at the time. And think about it. Like she was wearing like weird clothes. She was smoking like a fucking pipe. 
Yeah, just lying all the she time. She was lying all the time. She was like ostentatious with her behavior. Nobody wanted to be around that. It's not really clear why, but her and her partner, the opera singer, kind of split up and her family was like, you can't come back here. But yeah. her sister, Vera's husband, had recently died. So she went to live with her. Mm. Vera at the time, I think, was probably like pretty sad and lonely and like yeah. she had kids that were really young. She's like, please help me. She arrived on the same night as Vera's sister-in-law was having her wedding in her home. So Helena arrives, knocks on the door persistently. Vera jumps up to get it. At that point, party's over because it's the Helena hour. Oh, no. The knocking started immediately. She was seeing spirits everywhere. It was just, it was bullshit. But her father was there. Her father was in the house. And I think all of that was to her father's benefit, trying to get him to be like, oh, wow, my daughter's this amazing mystic and she's seeing spirits. But her father was like, fuck off. No. He was like not convinced. He was like kind of upset with her, found her disappointing. And he had remarried (sighs) at the time. Yeah. I think she was tired of not having her dad's love. Like this new woman gets her dad's love. He's having a Mm -hmm. new child. It was just hard for her, I think. Yeah, I get it. Her cousin who like kind of met her around that time, remembered her. And especially like people talked about her like she was this mystical, magical creature. And he said at the time he expected to have like a glamorous courtesan with like bejeweled fingers and like Mm -hmm. amazing personality. And he found her frumpy and a ruin of her former self. Her face... Apparently once of great beauty bore all the traces of a tempestuous and passionate life, and her form was marred by an early obesity. Besides, she paid but scant attention to her appearance and preferred loose morning dresses to elaborate apparel, but her eyes were extraordinary. She had enormous azure-colored eyes, and when she spoke with animation, they sparkled in a fashion which is altogether indescribable. Never in my life have I ever seen anything like that pair of eyes. And this is like a constant. People looked at her eyes and they were like mesmerized. Wow. Her husband was like, okay, listen, I don't want her back here. He's kind of a nice guy. Like he tried his hardest. He was like, I'm too old to have another wife. Nobody's going to have me. I can't get a divorce from this fucking woman. Like, all right, I'm just going to like lean hard into the lonely life and retire. I'll take her back. Whatever. Yeah, I know she's going to be awful, but like I'll take her back. They didn't have a real relationship. She basically just lived with him because nobody else would have her. Her sister was like over it. She was like, you're too crazy, man. I got to get you out of here. So this was the only place she had to go. Her grandparents didn't want her. Nobody wanted her. She has like a personality disorder or something. I mean, I'm not going to diagnose her and I can't because she's dead. I don't know. She sounds like she has borderline, but that's like a really controversial diagnosis. Especially with women like, oh, it's borderline. It's like, do I have hysteria? Do I have wandering womb? (laughs) Exactly. Totally. Like, what else do I have, Mr. Doctor? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I mean, if you look at like the characteristics, right, a lot of the stuff sounds like the attention seeking. You're either a brilliant, lovely, amazing human being or you're the worst person in the whole world. So black and white. There's like no gray area. There's definitely a lot of mania. I feel like she's a symptom of like her upbringing. 100 percent. Most people with personality disorders are. That's true like trauma stuff yeah it's like trauma stuff or like she wasn't technically neglected but i feel like not having your parents pay any attention to you is Mm -hmm. neglect even if you have governesses and people who love you and take care of you 
yeah, it gives you like the whole like, I'm not enough, seeking for love in like the wrong places. Yeah. She's living with her husband. That don't mean she's not having fun. She had two lovers at the time because uh, opera singer came back into her life and was like, well, oh. let's just give it a shot. So she she had a young lover who was a spiritualist and saw her like medium performances and was like, there's something about this one. Yeah, you're special. Mm. You're, not like, <laughs> you're not like other mediums. She ended up getting pregnant. Oh, no. Nobody knows whose son it is. And she even later said that she adopted her son. Like she made it like she was the savior. It was really good that she wore those like loose dresses. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And she was already kind of big. So it's going to get hidden. When she couldn't hide the pregnancy anymore, she actually started traveling. But she was essentially a pariah. Like nobody wanted her. She had her son, Yuri. We don't know exactly when he was born, but he was definitely suffering some genetic issues or like some injuries from his birth. The nature of it is not totally clear. Some people said that he ended up having a hunchback later and that he had some developmental issues, which if you remember, mm. she had an imaginary friend with a hunchback. Yeah, with a hunchback. HPB referred to him as that poor crippled child. Helena was not good like right after, even though she loved her son and she was actually a really great and attentive mom, seeing that he had so many issues really threw her into a traumatic experience and mm-hmm. she ended up completely associating. She said she would like kind of be in her body and she would hear her name being called, but she couldn't react to it. And she didn't feel like it was her. She was like somewhere out in the ether and something else was like animating her body. Whoa. She refused to eat. She became like a living skeleton is what people said. She was like getting fevers. She was like close to death. Postpartum depression or something. Postpartum. I feel like it was probably guilt because she grew up in like an Orthodox Russian household. So Mm -hmm. even if she didn't necessarily believe all of that shit. She thought she was being punished. Well, that stuff stays with you. I mean, we've talked about this before. Just like, even if you don't believe it anymore, there's still that fear in your head. Well, maybe this was right. And And I think also you kind of reach out when you're having a really hard time. You reach to anything that's going to give you an answer. And Mm -hmm. even if the answer is you fucking suck, that's better than nothing. I guess. Yeah. So her kid, she doted on him. She really cared about him. She described him to her sister as the best thing that ever happened to her. But he was a really sickly, sickly kid. The opera singer ended up kind of taking responsibility for him. Like he didn't know if it was his kid. He wasn't entirely sure whose child it was, but he took on the responsibility. They traveled together. You know, she had so many health issues when she was a kid. She said she was Mm -hmm. close to dying a couple of times. He seemed to have had the same kind of issues. And the traveling was really hard on him. And he died at age five. Oh, no. That's sad. She was not the same. She lost her fucking mind. I couldn't imagine. Like, she kind of suspected she was being punished for her sins earlier. Now she was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I totally am. God hates me. She said, even though she truly felt at home with Christianity, still there were moments when I believed deeply that sins can be remitted by the church and that the blood of Christ has redeemed me together with the whole race of Adam. And now that this has happened, no. It is bitter and painful to remember this past. You know at what facts I am hinting. So she didn't want to write it down. Yeah. What she told people instead of that she had a son and she was happily raising him and she wasn't having as many dissociative events and she was like Mm -hmm. really in her body and not having visions at the time. Mm -hmm. She was like mentally more healthy, having Mm -hmm. like a, a different focus than herself. So during this period of time, she said she went into battle in Giuseppe Garibaldi's army, receiving several wounds from sabers, musket fire and broken bones and finally being left to die on the battlefield. 
Mm. Which I'm sure it felt that way. Yeah, that's elaborate. It makes sense. It felt like she had been so deeply wounded in every part of her body. And she already had like a lot of scars. Like she was a sickly person. She had a lot of accidents. Like Mm -hmm. she she rode horseback. I'm sure she got like a lot of fucking injuries. I think also she might have been cutting herself because she had injuries that mysteriously reopened. She like spent a little bit more time in Russia, but she ended up moving to New York City and getting really involved in the spiritualist circle, even doing like some medium performance but she was like desperately poor, like living in a women's house and essentially like not eating for periods of time. She was still chain smoking. Priorities. She actually ended up meeting the person that she would end up being involved with for the rest of her life, Henry Alcott. He was he was doing some journalist work about these two brothers who were mediums and they were making a good amount of money, like doing all of this stuff. They were bringing people out in these elaborate costumes. And Helena the whole time was like, oh, that is my old governess. So she was making it all about her at their performance. And Henry Alcott was like, who is this woman? (laughs) And he was like deeply into spiritualism. People actually made fun of him a lot. He was not a very discerning person and he kind of just accepted whatever she said. And some people even suggest that he was actually being hypnotized by her because he saw a lot of phenomenon and this is what people used to validate what she was saying. There's one instance where like at the point that they were actually living together, he was like, you know, I had remarked how wonderful it would be to have some hot house grapes. And then she pulled out hothouse grapes from the air. It's like she probably went to the corner store or you both were smoking opium. Who knows? Right? (gasps) There's grapes here. What? Mind blown. It's like a (laughs) toddler trick where you're like, where did it go? Right. (laughs) So yeah, he like fully bought into it. And he was like so into the quote unquote scientific aspect of spirituality and spiritualism that he actually was pretty much responsible for starting the Theosophical Society. Oh, wow. Henry Alcott was the type of person who did something all the way or not at all. So Mm -hmm. he rented a big ballroom and like they would have these meetings there and these meetings would be big. They would have guest lecturers and people actually paid a membership fee every month. Wow. Over time, people were just like, oh, this is bullshit. We're not actually learning anything that we were supposed to be learning. And I don't see why we're doing this anymore. So people started Mm -hmm. like bowing out. Helena was not super involved. She was like, whatever, this is your thing. But at this time, she was writing her first book and Mm. she would write 12 hours a day. She was super obsessive with it. She would be like glued into play. She would get a few hours of sleep and then she'd go party and then she'd start writing. She was not fucking around. She was like her mom. Problem was what she was writing was bullshit. And Henry was so impressed with it. He was like, oh, my God, this thousand page manuscript. Let's take it to a publisher. And the publisher (laughs) took it for some reason. But then the editor was like, this is awful. Was it just a bunch of nonsense? Yeah. And they ended up spending so much on revisions that he was like, we're never going to make any fucking money because you keep revising this fucking manuscript. So she ended up scrapping all of it and rewriting it. Oh, no. But Henry says that she would look into space and then start writing. She described it as visiting the knowledge source, the astral plane, the plane of light where all humanity's history is kept and coming back with that information. And it was around this time that she became like really fascinated by India. Her spirit guides ended up becoming Indians. Fascinatingly enough, she started then describing like a secret brotherhood that would come to her and that she was an adept and that's why they came to her. So one of the tricks that people fell for was she would write them letters 
it wouldn't look like her handwriting. She would mail them and it would appear to come from someplace else. And they would be like, the Mahatma wrote me and he told me that I can become an adept. Oh my gosh. She just like puts them in their mailbox or something. Or sometimes they said like they would fall from the ceiling. It's like, do you understand that there you can stick stuff to a ceiling and have it just fall? I oh never God. look at my ceiling. Me neither. I am now. I never notice it. So when something occurs, I'm just like, what the fuck is that? Has that always been there? And someone else will have to tell me like, yeah, that crack was there when we moved in. I'm like, oh, I never looked at it. (laughs) I feel like the house is falling down around me, but it's literally been there for years. (laughs) People were so impressed with these magic tricks that they just fully bought into it. They fully bought into like the secret brotherhood of adepts, the mystical men who had like this divine knowledge that they felt humanity might be ready to receive. Yeah, it's like a common thread between all different sorts of people that lead new agey stuff. That was kind of her milieu, right? She was a medium. She would like become possessed. She would always like look in the distance and say, my spirit guide is here. And he said like nothing was ever coming from her mouth. She was a fucking idiot for all anybody (laughs) else knew because that's how she portrayed herself. She was like, I'm an uneducated peasant woman from Russia. I know nothing. She had like 100 books in her fucking New York apartment. And at the time, like that's a lot of books. Yeah, that's a lot of books. Remember, she said that she had been to India already. She had never been to India. So she was like, I want to live in India. So they traveled to Bombay. And this is where some of their stuff that they did is actually really cool. She and Henry were both the first white people to receive a formal, I don't know how they call it, like they were formally involved in the Buddhist practice there. And they're Mm -hmm. actually fully responsible for pushing back on British imperialism. And uh, British imperialism had enforced like a Christian ideology. So Hinduism, Buddhism, none of that was acceptable anywhere. And they pushed back on it. They were like, no, we're opening more Buddhist schools. We're going to like push for people to be proud of their heritage. I mean, it was for their own gain. Like comparatively, it seems selfless. Yeah, comparatively, it does for sure. They actually grew the schools that taught Buddhist principles from two to 205 during the time that they were there. Wow, that's cool. The one thing that they did on top of that, though, was they got everyone to buy back into their Buddhist belief system and to really fight for it. But they also wanted to remove any of what they called the folk superstition aspect Mm. of it. So they wanted to whiten it, essentially. Oh, lame. They created a more esoteric version of Buddhism where the Buddha was the master adept. So they did some good stuff. They did some very bad stuff, but it is what it is. The Theosophical Society went further than that. Isis Unveiled was published and people fucking loved it. There were a lot of critics who were like, this is hogwash. What the fuck are we reading right now? This is awful. Because it was written so plainly, people could really understand it. She explained everything. She seemed very Mm -hmm. knowledgeable about like several different aspects of religious practices. And this is actually when theosophy became like the thing. And she became a celebrity at this point. And when was this? Late 1870s, early 1880s. She actually became what they call their prophet. I'm not going to get super into theosophy because it's stupid. (laughs) It's a lot of borrowed stuff. None of it really makes sense together. Um, There's a lot of emphasis on the number seven because why not? Yeah. Well, (laughs) because of her birthday, right? Because of her birthday, because she's ridiculous. There is a lot of talk of like root races and she's like 
pretty fucking racist. She is a product of her time 100%, even though she like preached that there was no such thing as lesser man, all men were like evolving. She still said horrible, horrible things about many different races and was like deeply anti-Semitic. She did yeah. say that Jews were Aryans, but she also said lots of bad stuff. Jews are Aryans. Jews are Aryans. However, they still... They're the gross bad ones. Or something. They're still carrying weird karma. Well, fuck you. <laughs> she actually ended up returning to Europe and she she was the mouthpiece of all of this shit. And people came to her to study. Like she was the main person. She wasn't like the founder of the religion. She never called herself that. But she was definitely yeah. the person who was like dictating what it was. She was creating yeah. like a, a set of rules around it, right? But she wrote a lot of books. A lot of them are absolutely insane. She she references a lot of like hidden wisdom that, you know, secret Tibetan monks taught her that does not exist at all. She was really big into Atlantis and like Lemurians and, you know, she wrote a whole bunch of bullshit. I'm not going to get into it here. I will have more of it on the blog. She actually was responsible for a lot of influence. W.B. Yeats, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, he actually wow. was a theosophist. And that's kind yeah. of what led him to have a renewed interest in like pushing for liberation of India. Yeah. Thomas Edison, Lyman Frank Baum, who is the author of The Wizard of Oz, Lewis Carroll, Sir Conan Arthur Doyle. Wow. They were all linked and some of them had actually studied directly under her. That's interesting. What a story. It's fucking insane. Yeah, what a life. A lot of the ideas that we have about all religions being linked by like a common divine origin, they come from mm -hmm. her. Like she's the person wow. who actually formally linked all of this shit together. That's why I call her the great matron of new yeah. age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. I said in a Facebook post, like, I think she was dangerous and delusioned, but I would love to smoke some hashish with her. Right. Listen yeah. to her like talk in her thick Russian accent. And say some weird shit, stare into her crystal eyes stare into her crystal eyes get hypnotized see some spirits see her levitate get mesmerized you were like low-key like freestyling there did you hear that like a bunch of stuff rhymed fuck yeah <laughs> i'm a i'm a i'm a rapper <laughs> i had a friend in high school who would like smoke weed and then like freestyle but like say like he like wasn't very good but we all thought it was cute that's how I imagine Helena. She's like, yeah, man, the right? Mahatmas and the secret brotherhood and the divine wisdom and all this light. Last week I was in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not like physically, but like spiritually. So, yeah, that, that's my HPB. I reference I her a it. lot. So I, I just needed to talk about her. She's interesting. That was cool. How do you feel about it? Are you are you going to join Theosophy? Because it's still going. I don't think so. Are you? I'm not interested in becoming a better person. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want to evolve. I'll do it my way. Do you know what you're talking about next week? So I was thinking about talking about pooping in space. Oh, what <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. I mean, can people hear you poop in space? If you poop in space and no one's around to hear it. Did you, did really you actually poop? poop? <laughs> No, it's just really interesting. Like, I guess there's some website called Hero or something. It's some shit where like big companies offer like a bunch of money to like regular people to solve problems. And NASA like has one offering 30 grand to like figure out the poop issue. I didn't know there was a poop issue. I thought they already had it sorted. I don't want to talk about it too much. 
but like in other stuff about space, like just stuff about stuff about space travel. My desire to go to space is only thwarted by my desire to never, ever, ever be high up in the air because I don't like it. <laughs> but you're like almost so high up that you don't know you're high up anymore. I'll never be an astronaut. I'm also just not smart, so I have no usable skills. <laughs> That's what's just so interesting to me about like this astronaut pooping thing is like these are like the smartest people you know and they're just like i don't know i can't wait to hear about pooping in space yeah i'm excited about it too all right everybody you have been listening to i read a thing we do new podcasts every friday and you will be able to find full show notes on our website so listen subscribe rate rate like us please (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you next time bye bye